you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hi, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm Oliver Banks, and it's great that we can be here together today. This is episode 19, and today I've got a bit of a treat for you. I've got a special guest that really gets Omnichannel. Now, online retail needs no introduction whatsoever, but one of the key trends that I think has been really interesting over the past probably couple of years in particular is where online pure play retailers, stores that specifically focus online, have started venturing out onto the high street. That's right, e-commerce has started to want to do a bit of old school retailing, which I love. It brings new ideas, new energy, new passion. And the prospect of moving your store from online only to an offline multi-channel world has really excited many and it helps of course to support the high street and physical retail space with now a new flow of tenants established businesses coming into the fray so today we've got jennifer fruhoff joining us now jennifer is a customer engagement and experience consultant based in london england so if you are a brand or a retailer who is looking to create and deliver an omnichannel strategy blended with a customer experience, then you need to talk to Jennifer because she knows how to do it in a way that adds value for customers and the business at the same time. She's got experience in a variety of sectors such as consumer mobile, retail technology and fashion technology as well. As we get into today's conversation, There are a number of links and companies referenced. So do make sure that you head over to obandco.uk slash 19 if you want to check those out in a super convenient way. So that's obandco.uk slash 19. Now, this is also a great conversation. It's a really goodie, but it does last a little longer than normal. So this is going to be a two-part conversation. So this is the first part of that conversation with Jennifer Fruhoff. Hi Jennifer and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you? I'm fine Oliver, how are you? I'm great, thank you very much. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show today and also for the golden nuggets that I'm sure you're going to be sharing with us all. One of the big trends that we've been seeing over the past few years, of course, is the whole shift from online retailers to offline. Now, everyone's been focusing on the offline to online, the bricks to clicks, so to speak. But we're seeing a bit of a shift happening now, aren't we? We certainly are. And, and it's interesting that you talk about that because we do focus a lot in the sector about the struggles of traditional retailers, the bankruptcies, the CDAs in the UK market. And there's a lot of talk, or there's been talk over the last year or two about retail being dead, about a retail apocalypse. And I've written about how I I completely disagree that there's a retail apocalypse. So I do think it's challenging for those players to transform. But what you see when you look 
and this in a different way is a lot of those online players, as you said, starting to move into physical retail. And they've actually, many of them have been doing so for years, especially if you look in the US market. Maybe in the UK, it's been a little more recent, but they have been doing so in, in different ways, some in pop-ups, some more permanent locations, kind of testing the waters or trying different things to see what works. But what's interesting is that at a very top level, it's really showing that retail is not dead. It's very, it's a very important part of the proposition. And it's really interesting to see how some of these new brands are making that work. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'd, I'd love to sink in with the article you wrote on that retail apocalypse. So we'll pop that in the show notes, if that's all right. Sure, of course. And it is something we've seen. I mean, I know Warby Parker in the US, the Glassware Spectacles uh, retailer, they started this journey from online to offline in 2013 was when they first opened their stores. So it's been going on for quite a while. Yes. And they're now coming up to almost 100 stores. So it's actually pretty decent estate that they've got going and it's across multiple states out out in the US now. Yes, it certainly is. I mean, they were interesting because they actually started just with some very small showrooms, sort of dipping a toe in the water and allowing customers to try on glasses and using technology to do that as well in 3D. Once they raised investment in 2013, it allowed them to pursue a more assertive offline strategy. And so that's what we've really seen since then. But then also them shifting into, we need proper stores. So they opened their first flagship in New York, and they've gone on to be very successful with that and and actually very profitable. When you look at the economics of their stores, they're reportedly averaging about $3,000 per square foot annually. Wow. Compared to, you know, which is higher than some companies like Tiffany and Ralph Lauren, for example. So, I mean, their stores are are very, you know, are very economically viable. And, you know, there, there's some interesting things that we've seen from them as well in terms of digital driving footfall into their stores, but also the impact that stores are having on their overall sales, that they're actually seeing about half their sales right now coming from physical stores. And I think they've been very good at, at merging on and offline. I think they've seen that that's where the sector is going and they've been very good to capitalize on that. Well, so that's, that's really interesting to to see that such a huge percentage is coming now through that through that store channel. Indeed. What other examples are exciting you when it comes to the the whole online to offline? I mean, I think staying in the US for a moment, I think Casper is another really interesting example. And there are many there that we could talk about. Casper mattresses, right? Exactly. And what's interesting is that They started kind of testing temporary stores in shopping malls and at street level retail in the US a number of years ago, and had been selling their products through Target. They had some temporary stores of their own, but it was in 2018, they opened their first store in New York. And they now, the last report, I think, was that they plan to open about 200 locations in the US over the next three years. But it's interesting because when they were doing this, we actually were seeing the collapse of a more traditional rival called Mattress Firm that eventually filed for bankruptcy. So again, you're seeing that dichotomy between traditional retailers really struggling to transform their businesses, get out of long leases, reduce their debt loads. And you've got these much more nimble players with a very different cost base that are moving into physical retail because they see the value. And what's been really exciting about the Casper example is that they've taken their whole value proposition around having a better price product than um, traditional retail has allowed for. 
but they've used their physical stores to create a whole experience around that. So it's not just the traditional, think about when you go to buy a mattress, what the experience is like in most most places you go. It's quite bland and almost quite dire. You just have rows of mattresses. And what they've done is they've created this really cozy, enjoyable shopping experience that almost feels like home, where they have their mattresses, you can actually try them out. They have bedrooms little bedrooms set up in their stores where customers can go and lay on the mattress and try them out for themselves. And they also were selling... Very nice. Exactly. And they're also selling things like their own pillows, sheets. And so you also have all of that merchandising around the mattress. But it's really, they really brought that whole, that whole ethos of their brand and their whole brand story and kind of mission around good sleep into their stores and created a real story around that, which I think is, is really interesting. I think it's interesting, the whole mattress market, the actual category of mattresses, because you're absolutely right. You know, if you were to, to span back before the internet came such a revolution, it was that sort of big warehouse of mattresses. You go and lie down for 20 seconds and that's that's your judge of, am I going to get a good night's sleep on this or not? Exactly. There's been a real shift in customer attitudes towards that particular product, that investing in a decent mattress to get a decent night's sleep. Yeah. It's really shifted things and there've been quite a few up-and-coming players that the whole sort of mattress-in-a-box thing that has really allowed e-commerce to thrive. And it's interesting to see it coming full circle now. Exactly. And I mean, again, that is clearly where Casper began was online with that model. But I really like that they've taken it into a physical store because when you think about it, I mean, some customers are maybe willing to take that leap of faith and say, I will order a mattress that I haven't tried online returns policy is good. If I don't like it, I can return and they can deal with that. But for others, they may really want that reassurance about the product. They might want to try it for themselves and really be reassured that this is something that they're going to like before they commit and make that purchase. And so again, that's one of the things that fit, that we know physical retail does, generally speaking, but that it's also doing for a brand like Casper, is helping them in that purchase consideration phase and being able to engender more trust and confidence of customers. That's really interesting. And I think on the face of it, that whole offline to online, it seems a bit weird when there's so much in the press about, uh, you know, stores going bust, struggling with cost management. You've got, you know, business rates going super high. You've got increasing, increasing salaries of store associates. It's a big jump, isn't it? Why is it that online retailers want to be doing this? We've spoken a bit about experience. What else do you think? I think there are a number of different reasons why they're doing this. I mean, first of all, we talked about briefly that they're starting from a very different cost base than traditional retailers that have typically large store estates and in some cases have overextended themselves in terms of their store estates. And there's a lot of talk about this also in the U.S., where they feel that a lot of retailers are overweight in terms of their suburban presence. So, you know, they're starting from a very different cost base than online retailers are. Some of them also have very high debt loads. They have long leases, which are very hard to shift and hard to get out of. So we talk about, you know, that they should be able to become more nimble and it all sounds great, but it actually isn't really that easy in practice and it does take time. But for the online retailers that don't have those kinds of costs to contend with, What's really interesting is, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why they're doing this as a post, not, and experience is one of many reasons. I mean, one is just to increase their brand awareness. When you think about it, they've just, they've been using their budget in terms of digital marketing. 
to be able to attract customers to their site, to attract them to social media channels, and to try to convince them to become more interested in the product, more engaged in that brand, and hopefully eventually to consider their products and to purchase. Um, I think some interesting examples, and we haven't talked a lot about the UK market yet, but some interesting examples I've seen in London in that respect are a fairly little known brand, but a, and I think they call themselves an underwear brand, although they started with hosiery, which is Heist, which I love because I think they really kind of reinvented that hosiery category and are continuing to do that with other categories around women's underwear. Right. Okay. Um, but they, they started online only. And they've been selling online a great, bold campaign and really strong message to women about you know, feeling comfortable in what they wear and looking, you know, and very looking naturally and feeling feeling good about themselves. So very body positive. But what they did is they opened a, uh, a small pop up around Covent Garden for a few months last year. I think it just closed in January this year, and that was really about them being able to get more brand awareness than they could online, competing with other brands for advertising dollars by having a physical pop-up in a location, hopefully where they knew they had interested customers, that they were able to have a storefront, have people actually come by, experience what that brand was all about, hear about it from someone who works there. But also there's an element of product consideration. And I think that's also what physical retailer is doing for a lot of these brands is giving them that opportunity to increase product consideration amongst their prospective customers. So in the case of Heist, when I went to the store, you could go in and it was a quite a small store, very, um, very minimal in terms of any decor, very kind of no frills in a way. But what it did, it did well. It had a couple of pa- number of panels on one wall of the different hosiery by weight or by denier. So you as a customer can go in and touch them and feel them and really see what's the difference between this one versus the next in terms of the heaviness of that tight. Sure. And what really surprised me was actually when somebody, when I had chosen the ones I wanted and the sales associate asked me if I wanted to try them on, which is so not typical of that experience. So, I mean, that's, another element they brought in that was that where they were saying to me, we're willing to put our, our ourselves behind this product so much that we want you to try them on, verify that you like them before you buy them, which you'd never be invited to do anywhere. So um, I thought what they did worked really well in terms of being able to raise that brand awareness, awareness and consideration. It's not just brand awareness there, you know, just describing that, that shopping yeah. trip, you know, there are so many aspects that you can't do online. Exactly. You know, feeling the weight, feeling the touch, seeing the quality, trying it on. All of those things, you know, actually lead to one of the big online problems of returns as well. Absolutely. So it's interesting to see how shifting to an offline channel can help solve some of those big online bugbears. It absolutely does. I mean, because you give, you allow product, you allow customers to come in and actually, as you said, touch the products, try them. And of course, that works very well with certain types of apparel, with higher end apparel, with tights, obviously, I'd much prefer to be able to, to try them and see them for myself before I buy them sight unseen. Of course, we talked about mattresses and the value of being able to try a product, actually lay on it before you buy it. But you're absolutely right in terms of reducing the returns rate, because again, it's giving that customer a chance to actually experience that product for themselves before they just buy it and take that leap of faith. And it does then, it engenders more brand loyalty, more confidence in that brand, and yes, reduced returns. Because 
once they have me as a customer, if I've just gone into Heist having walked by their store and I like their products, I've had this great experience and I take the product home and I wear it and I love it, I'm going to buy again and I'll have much more confidence buying from them online. Right. So you get that lifelong customer, you build that loyalty and actually says, I recognize this brand. I've, I trust the quality. I trust the designs. It's a good fit depending on whatever whatever product it is. Absolutely. So I'm going to buy again. I'm going to add to cart and check out. Absolutely. I think it just gives consumers much more confidence that they know something more about the brand that they're buying from and that they trust that brand and they know what kind of quality the products are going to have that they're purchasing. Very nice. Are there any other sort of real reasons why online retailers want to go into stores? Lots of reasons. I mean, we talked a bit about experience, and I just wanted to bring in another really interesting example I saw very recently in London, which was when you, you talk about brands wanting to do something really genuinely quite fun and experiential that is an extension of the brand. And Lego just did this very interesting pop-up. It was only there for a day. And they did this with Snapchat in London where they basically had a completely empty store. I mean, if you look at the pictures of it, it's just white-walled store. And all I had was a Snapchat, just this icon on a plinth. And what you did is you go in with your app, you scan this, um, this code, and it takes you into the Snapchat store and into this Legoware that they, it was limited edition Legoware for adults that you could then purchase through Snapchat. Wow. Which I thought was really a very fun, like it's, it's very tied into what that Lego brand is all about, about fun, about playfulness, but it was also very commercial. So it was creating, creating this really limited time experience, kind of one of a kind experience. And in, in a way that digital can't on its own match. So digital is an integral part of it, but digital on its own can't really provide that kind of experience the customers had in that store. And then the ability to still check out. So there was still a commercial aspect to it. So I think that's an example of how some brands are really bringing in a really interesting experience that you can't necessarily get online into physical retail. There are other reasons like just testing and learning and there was a lot in the press last year, and I also wrote a, a short a short summary about Amazon fashion in London. They had a pop-up last year for a week on Baker Street. And for me, that's one example of a very well-known online brand. We know they're moving into physical retail with Amazon Go, but in terms of fashion, for me, that really felt like they were they were testing and learning. They were really trying out something to better understand how customers shop in store, what kind of issues there are that they might have to resolve or deal with a bit differently, um, what types of things work, what attracts customers to store, what they look at, what they purchase. And they were very explicit about that in the store, that there were signs around the store saying, we are taking photos of you, we're taking video. So you knew that this is really all about testing out a concept and learning from it, hopefully rapidly that they can improve the next time. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. They were only open for, I think it was a week, wasn't it, that, that pop-up? Yes, it was. You know, we already know Amazon. Obviously, they're a huge player, but they're very, uh, very clever, very intentional. You know, every single pixel of that website is intentional. And I think when they move into stores, you know, there is a heavy element of tech. You know, we, we had the fantastic Maya Knights and Natalie Berg on just a couple of episodes that was episode 16 and 17. So if if you've not listened to that, then go and check it out. But we know they're very intentional. They're very data-driven. And it was really interesting to see some of the things they were trying out. And you know 
what works we're going to be seeing again sometime soon amazon go is reportedly coming to london very soon so it will be interesting how things come together what what sort of things really excited you about that pop-up what was really interesting for me was how they curated it because when you i know that amazon is trying to make a play for fashion and there's been a lot of discussion around how successful certain observers think they will be in doing that and and how if they can actually be a credible player in more premium or luxury fashion versus more mass market and what was interesting to me and surprising was how they merchandised that store and how they curated the selection of products that were there. Is it was a real mix of I wouldn't necessarily say high and low, but let's say premium and and much more low low mass market products. So on the same rack, you would see, for example, a pair of jeans for thirty pounds and then a jacket for over three hundred pounds, and they were kind of mixing up brands, I think showing the range of brands that probably surprised some customers, including like me, that they even carry. And then also curating different looks because they had different racks around the store that were almost like different stations where they were curating different looks, maybe different themes or different color schemes together. So I thought that was really well done. And I did like the way that they had a theme each day. Now, of course, they can do this because it's it's there for a week. If you were a permanent retailer in that space, you probably wouldn't be doing that every yeah. day. But you know, for a week, you can do that. ideas, <laughs> Exactly. For a week, you can afford to do something like that. So they had themes <laughs> every day. Um, one of them might have been fitness, one of them was beauty, and they had different events going on in the store in the evening. So what they would do is, first of all, change around the store layout and, and some of the merchandise daily to respond to that theme, which is quite a task. Absolutely. And then they had people like speakers or like a DJ, various people coming in in the evenings and they had themed events that tied in with that in the evenings. So again, it gives customers yet another reason to come back into store kind of based around their interest around that theme or that community. I mean, it's not to say that I think everything Amazon fashion did in that store worked well, but I think those are some of the things that, that did surprise me that did work well. Yeah, now Amazon, you know, as we mentioned earlier, they're trying stuff out. They're testing it. Not everything will work, but exactly. let's try some things, see what works, see what doesn't, and refine and get better. Absolutely. So next time it's going to be a much more developed concept Absolutely. whenever their, their next pop-up comes around. Yeah. I mean, the test and learn approach you can also look at a bit differently, and we've seen it with some brands like there's a beauty brand in the U.S., Milk Makeup. And they just had a pop-up recently in London for a short period of time. So they opened it up to glamour readers. And I think they said the first 50 glamour readers could get preferred, get early access to the store. Okay. And they had someone there talking about beauty. And then they had the store open for only about 48 hours where the rest of the public could, could access the store. What was interesting about that in terms of the test and learn theme is that they had built this real cult following and this real community of followers online, largely through social media over time. And they said that they had a lot of customers in the UK asking them for well over a year when they were going to bring the brand to the UK. So it's interesting about that is the test and learn concept in terms of entering a new market. And that being a way of them dipping a toe in the UK market to say, we first of all, we have an online following. We already know customers are there that that are interested in the brand, that are engaged, that that are demanding a presence from us there. So let's then go in and give them a bit of that. So there's actually much less, less risk for them in opening up 
even a temporary location because they already know the customers are there. That's interesting, you know, particularly partnering with with Glamour as well to create awareness of this very short term pop-up proposition. Exactly. So actually, it could be very easy that you miss that offline store opening up. If you're not visiting their website, you wouldn't see it was coming up. So actually having a partner that has more regular, you know, in, in this case, a readership that can help you to promote and generate that excitement and even a little bit of exclusivity. Exactly. Which I, I think is really neat about that example. Wasn't that good? And the, the really fantastic part is we're only halfway through. We've got a ton more to come next episode in episode 20. So do make sure that you subscribe now to the podcast if you haven't already. But make sure you come back next episode to hear the rest of that conversation with Jennifer. And in the meantime, if you haven't already gone over to the website, don't forget to go and check it out for all the links of the the plentiful examples referenced. So you can find that at obandco.uk slash 19. And finally, if we're not connected on LinkedIn, then we should be. So do please search for me, Oliver Banks, and reach out and connect. Let me know that you're a listener. It would be great to hear what your thoughts are. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate spending time with you going into interesting topics like this. So have a great week and I will look forward to joining you on the next episode of the Retail Transformation Show. Catch up with you soon. Mm -hmm.